and welcome back. It's the Full 40 with Chris and Rob, part of the State 2 Network, brought to you by Nova Insider. We are back after a massive comeback victory for Villanova. Left for dead, comes back to life, resurrects in time for Christmas. Couldn't write it better. Rob, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, that, that's a great intro. Unfortunately, it's not Easter. So the resurrection connection falls a little bit flat for me, but I see where you're going and I like it. I'm excited. I am drinking my typical Woodford reserve tonight. Um, I'm obviously excited about the win. I'm more excited about the guest that we have on always great to have him on the pod been on a couple times now. Um, why don't I let you do the intro, Chris? I know yeah. you've got it teed up. Yeah. So I- I'm drinking Bud Light. But I'll intro the guest. Um, Yeah, I don't deserve to drink more whiskey. I had too much already um, during the game. I'm introing the guest, John Fanta, a legend. The legend himself. He's back from John Fanta is back on the full 40 with us. John, I understand you don't have a drink tonight, but it doesn't matter. You're here to have a good time. Am I right? I am currently drinking the reports of Villanova's demise were greatly exaggerated kool-aid i like it rob and it tastes very good and it should taste very good on the main line tonight because as we record this podcast villanova backs against the wall gut check time all the cliches of hey pressure's on you it's time to show it look they are an unbeatable train at the finneran pavilion in league play especially yeah there's a reason why the villanova wildcats have only lost one game at the Finn since Big East reconfiguration in 2013. That that game coming to Butler in 2017. The 71 to 58 win over a quality Xavier team, a top 20 ranked Xavier team, a Xavier team that only had one loss. For Villanova's defense to hold Xavier to 22nd half points speaks volumes about a program with their backs against the wall. You need a win, and they find a way to get it. That as much as Wildcat fans out there might get a little bit upset or might be disgruntled at the start of this season, I get it. I get it because of your high standards, and you should have high standards. That's being a follower. By the same token, tonight was a reminder. It ain't so bad. It ain't so bad. You still own the Big East until someone fully takes it from you. Now, you start 0-2 in Big East play, and we got to start having a conversation. This was a win that Villanova needed to have. They got it, and they got it because they defended, and they said, you know what? We're not hitting perimeter shots. Fine. We've got to take the basketball to the cup. They did that in this game. Yeah, they did I, that, and they I, defended the shit out of, out of it in the second half. I think a lot of that had to do with Caleb Daniels, but Rob, go ahead. No, I was going to say, John, I, I have to admit, I am one of the Villanova fans. I was literally texting this group at halftime saying, we look terrible. I think we're going to lose. I saw this team first half came out with no energy. It seemed like we were the same listless team that we were against Creighton and were against Baylor. I said, oh gosh, we're just pulling this into the pavilion now. It's going to continue. 
But the second half was totally different. And like you hit the nail on the head, the defense, I will say the past few games, the defense has been one of the somewhat consistent positive themes. It got the job done. I'm happy as always to eat my words and see what the second half brought. So I'm definitely in a better mood for sure. Chris, go ahead. John, we brought you in. I I love it. We're just jumping right in here. We brought you in, analyze analyze Villanova, analyze the Big East, et cetera. This is all the things that we want to talk about with you. But I'm going to take it a massive step back. We got to take it way step back. We got to talk about John Fanta for a second here. Here's a guy... Here's a guy who was on the athletic, which is no slouch organization, right? On the athletic rated top 40 for college basketball under 40. Now, as far as I'm concerned, that's not a good enough ranking for you (laughs) because you are like, in my mind, like the next Bill Raftery of, of, of like, of like Big East and, and, and basket and college basketball in general, just like got incredible enthusiasm, et cetera. So congratulations on that honor. But I want to under I want to talk to you a little bit about it. What it meant to you to see your name appear on that list. Well, extremely humbling, Chris and Robin. Thank you for that. Um, it means the world. And you never do this type of stuff. You, you never go into your job day in and day out saying, let's do it for this type of recognition. You do it for the people that follow you. You do it for people like yourselves. You know, you guys have had me on your show from its infancy and it's always been a pleasure to be on with you. And that's what I love about covering the big East and covering college basketball, the level of passion that the fan bases have for a sport that probably doesn't get covered the way it used to get covered. It's clear to me, there's still neighborhood. There's still room for it to get a lot of coverage and it's a labor of love for me. And to get recognized by Seth Davis when he texted me, I've never met Seth. Uh, we don't have, we met once actually recently. I had not met him before he was putting this list together. And it was really a, a humbling thing to hear from him because he had seen my work from afar and he explained this to me once we had started talking. But he said it, it said that much more to me when I was putting it out there of, hey, who, who should, who should win this accolade or who should be on this list. And it was fans and followers who were submitting uh, my name. And and it was an overwhelming amount of response. That's extremely humbling. Uh, And I'm very, very thankful for that. And you, you only hope for something like that. You never plan or you never even, you never even think about this type of stuff when you're in your day by day grind, but it is really, really special. And to be on the 40 under 40, you know, I would have taken 70 under 70 or 60 under 60, 40 under 40 at 26. I'm blessed. I'm lucky to cover the best basketball conference in America. Damn straight. And I'm lucky to interact with people like yourselves because it is damn fun. And I cannot wait for what the road holds down down the future. John, the best part about it, honestly, is that is that you you've always given time to people like like us like look we don't we don't we're not gonna we're not gonna play it we do pretty good in the villanova sphere of a podcast world right like we do we do pretty good we get we have a decent reach right but like you come on and you you give us everything you got and that's and that's you that you bring like just and 
you just bring seemingly a bottomless pit of energy to everything that you do. Um, and I respect you for it. Uh, and not only do I respect you for it, I admire you. I admire it. It's, it's, it's incredible what you bring to college basketball. It adds value to my viewership and fan experience. I really mean that. Like it's, it's awesome. And, and, and to the point on the big East, like you've signed up for a great conference with really, really good fans, um, who give, who give a whole hell of a lot of shit. Um, and, and that added and Yukon coming in added to it. When you think of like the at no escalators account, like you think of all the people who come in and then, and then you think of, and you think of all the individual groups of fans and groups of personalities yeah. in the big East. It's great. You got to bring your a game. Look, these are a game fan bases. You got to bring that. Um, and, and that's who I do it for. And I appreciate it when people are like, I enjoy listening or I enjoy watching your work at the end of the day. I want you to enjoy it. I mean, we get to cover these players and these coaches. They're people too. And when I get to talk to them, I want to treat them as such. Relationships are so important. But if, if you can't bring your A game, if you can't bring your passion, then why do it? Right. Why do it? I've never taken a day for granted in this. I never will. And it's very clear. Very clear. One thing a lot of people that are in our industry that at, from a young age – They'll say is, what's my next step? Where am I going next? What am I thinking next? What, where am I heading? What's the next job? How do I parlay this into what's next? For me, of course, I always think about what, what's the future hold and how do I work towards that? But by the same token, if you make the very most of the now, what, what's in store for tomorrow and in the future weeks and future months and future years to come, that will be telling if you put the work in because it will get recognized at some point by the right person. And for me, I've stuck with it. I haven't left for something else or entertained that much other things. And um, I've, I've enjoyed covering the Big East Conference so much so now that as I talk with you guys right now, I'm covering a game that probably at the beginning of the season, people didn't think as highly of as they think of now. Hopefully, fingers crossed it gets played. I'm doing play-by-play -play next week when number 15 Seton Hall visits number 22 Providence. Awesome. You know, and that's Incredible. that's a product of that's a game that a Tim Brando or a Joe Davis or a Gus Johnson has called top 25 matchup. And I get the opportunity to call that. That's that's just put the work in each day. And yeah. when you least expect it, your your number will get called. And when they call your number, it might not even be for a game that they thought at the time was the biggest game of them all, but treat every game the same, treat every interview the same. So I love coming on with you guys. You guys have a great following, and it's the place to be for a Villanova fan. Uh, but beyond that here, in the Big East Conference, what I like about this league is you have informed fan bases, a Marquette fan who listens to this, or a Georgetown fan who listens to this, um, or a UConn fan, believe it or not, to the Husky haters out there on social media, that'll check this out and say, hey, I learned something from this. Great fans, really, really good people. It's a privilege to cover this league, and it's, it's always fun to be with you guys. Awesome. Awesome. I love it, John. And congratulations once again. Thank you again. very much. Appreciate congratulations it. Congratulations once again. Um, some, some bonus professional advice too. On the yeah. Phone. I, I, well, I, like yeah. Everything John said, I was like, 
I'm not in like, I've only realized this recently and I know I'm several years older than John. So he's, uh, he's thinking on the right track, but anyway. Uh, I can never get the facial hair that you have, Rob. <laughs> Yo, you have no idea how hard he worked for that facial yeah, hair. I work, I work a lot. I work and a lot recently, sorry, I'm going to distract from the podcast here. <laughs> yeah, recently, it's fair, it's fair. he went to his barber to get a trim up of his beard and the barber like trim, shaved, the barber shaved up. <laughs> you understand yeah. he's got some patchiness here he's got yeah. some patchiness going on patchiness and too. and boom the barber shaved up wrong direction shouldn't be doing it was that bad. shouldn't be doing that boom patchy spot guess what he guess what rob needed to be the best man at a wedding the, like the week after so like, rob it was like was four days after pissed. that Rob was, yeah, was not good. <laughs> my my, so my wife put up with a lot that. He appreciates that compliment. I, yeah. I appreciate that. You appreciate it, Rob. I appreciate that. Good vibes here on the full forty. I love it. I oh love man, it. I love it. I love it. All right, all right. Should we talk some basketball? Let's do it. Let's talk a little bit of basketball. I want to talk Big East. So so we got John to bring in the big talk about the Big East. So let's 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 do it. Before we dig into actual games, I want to ask you. Has there been any news coming out? Have you heard anything? Does the Big East intend? I know there's been, I know DePaul put out a statement yeah. looking to challenge. Has there been any plan and a little context here is that Big East teams are required at this juncture, this moment, to quote unquote forfeit and lose a game if they have to back out for COVID reasons? Has there, have you heard any noise that the Big East plans to change that akin to how the Big 12 announced today that they were going to change it? Well, let's look at it this way, gentlemen. When you're talking about a league that does pride itself and has prided itself for a long time on integrity of the game, um, they're going to do everything possible to make sure that they get whatever they need to right. Okay. And so by that, by that account, there are discussions, there are conversations, there are talks being had daily, on a daily basis. And I do think that with the way the trends have aligned, we're going to see some sort of a shift. That's my opinion. Uh, but they're, they're going to figure this out. And I also think that it's very important that this gets brought up. Mm -hmm. It's not as simple as DePaul's athletic director, Dwayne Peavy, who's done a nice job there taking over that job. You can already see some of the changes that are being made. He puts out a tweet saying that he'd like to get these forfeits rescinded. Well, let's, let's look at this policy for a moment. When this policy was put in place. Different situation. It's a totally different situation. Totally different situation. Totally yeah. different situation. So in other words, there's an untimeliness to everything right now whether it's in college sports, pro sports, whatever. And when there's an untimeliness to your protocols and your guidelines, you are at risk of destroying some of the integrity of your season. Mm -hmm. So I do think that there's discussions. They're happening daily. I do think we'll see some sort of a shift. That's my opinion. Um, but I also think that it's not as simple as Val Ackerman, the commissioner of the Big East, sitting in her office saying, here's what we're doing. That's it. We're changing it. People need to understand this. The policies that we're speaking of are voted upon by the athletic directors and presidents mm -hmm. at the 11 Big East institutions. This is not put into action by the conference office. 
It's voted on and approved and discussed to begin with by the schools themselves. Right. And so because DePaul's AD says one thing, another AD may be saying another thing, and a third AD might be saying, my school hasn't been impacted by this. Why am I having to, to do this, this, that, and that? So the point is, there's a lot of parties here in place. And I do think that we will see some sort of a shift. Mm-hmm. I, th- I, for one, think it's, it's necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't make those decisions beyond my pay grade. But, but let's, um, let's bear in mind, this is not just a simple one or two people in an office making the decision. This gets brought to the attention of the athletic directors and will be brought to the attention of them again. Um, it's already been. So it's, it's going to continue to get brought up. I do think we'll see some sort of a shift. But to those who are saying, make the change happen, this is bull. You know, that's our world has shown us in the last two years that to get the wheels turning on a lot of stuff is not easy. Example, getting people tested for this virus right now on a very different level, yeah. uh, on a very more meaningful level. It's hard to get a test right now, as we've talked about. So I think we'll see some sort of a shift. Discussions are happening daily. Nobody's sitting in an office happy with forfeits. No. There's no... So, so let's let's give this a chance. Let's see what plays out here in the next couple of days. That's a really, I, really, really good point. I didn't hadn't even conceptualized that. Of of course, you've got to convince all of the schools and all the ads to come along with this too. So, you do, you do, yeah. and, and you do, and you also have to understand that. To that point, Rob, every school's in a different place with this right now, mm-hmm. and so Villanova's played two conference games. They're on they're on their schedule. You know, DePaul's not, but do, but what happens there? So there's got to be some balance achieved. And uh, I, I do think that we'll see some of that. When you have more forfeitures than games being played, that's a problem. Yeah. And it's the elephant in the room. Yeah. I, I mean, look, to your point, when this came out, I think the thought around it was, and, and this whole situation has changed in the last five months. I don't want to go too far down the epidemic conversation, but like, or the pandemic conversation. But like when this came out, there was a thought that like, hey, everyone gets vaccinated. You're not going to have cases, right? Delta and Omicron have changed the conversation meaningfully um, in, such that, in such that you can have cases now. It's, it's still more rare, but it still can happen. Yeah. So, so, so now you have fully vaccinated and boosted players yes. um, who have gotten and contracted and tested positive for COVID. And now teams have to forfeit as a result of that happening. That was not the original intent. I don't believe of the, of, of, of coming out with that. And so I believe that teams, I agree with you. I think they'll get this right. I just think that it's going to take a little bit of time to work it out, but it doesn't matter if they come out to a thing and and it applies retroactively. It is what it is. Yeah. And you know, people also have to understand that. And I know they don't want to hear this, but I'm trying to explain the process. There's a lot of lawyers involved here. I believe it. I can't, I can't even fathom that. Like, you know, you have to, there's a lot of factors at play. You guys know this. The people listening to this podcast, those smart Villanova fans with those Villanova degrees who are in the workplace know this. You know that if there's ever any shift in your office place, a significant one at that, even in these times, it doesn't happen instantly. No. Yeah, so, absolutely. you know, understand that 
it's not like your social media is the the proponent in now the change is going to happen even though i recognize it and see it and appreciate the passion we everybody wants to get this right um i don't i hate that john are you saying our twitter activism is not going to change it's not going to flip the switch immediately oh i think though that sometimes i i i think as a fan sometimes people think to themselves you know look like this is ridiculous and and Right now, the current times, this, this is, it's beyond anything we could have seen. So here's to hoping that things adapt and, and adapt quickly. Totally. Love it. Okay. We got some of the Big East questions out of the way. Let's talk Villanova. And let's talk the Big East basketball programs, the competition that Villanova will face uh, throughout the season. Yeah. So as we sit here tonight, it's Tuesday, December 21st following Villanova's win at home versus Xavier. Let's start with Villanova and build out from there. Sure. John, Villanova, just to kind of put it all into perspective, set out on a gauntlet of a non-conference schedule. Uh, They have – Temple is a little bit later this week. Um, but 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 have ran through their big five schedule. Mm-hmm. They beat they won a game versus Tennessee handily, which will pay dividends later in the year. But other than that, the three marquee games that were kind of put on the schedule, they all lost yeah. um, in different degrees. They had a double digit lead versus UCLA and lost in overtime. Made a double digit lead for, versus Purdue and lost and lost pretty significantly by the end of that game. And then they got blown out by Baylor. I think the Villanova fan base could have accepted those results broadly. I think the Creighton result kind of really sent people into a tailspin. And then, and then, and then the first half of the Xavier game was like, Oh my God, what is going on here? And then boom, like you go on like a, basically a 41 20, I think second half uh, to kind of, ease those concerns and tamp that down. But what do you make of Villanova kind of coming off of now eight and four and coming out of this non-conference and early conference schedule here? Well, I think that this is a good to very good basketball team. I don't think that this is the national championship caliber team that we thought that they Mm -hmm. would be in the preseason. That is not to say that things can change. A team picks up steam. And they can, and this team still can. Uh, I think we need to keep in mind that Colin Gillespie was coming off an MCL injury that was rough. And I think that it's shown this season. I, I just, Colin Gillespie's done a couple of things that even have made me say, hmm, that's, that's not the best I've ever seen him, or that's not the best I've seen him. And I think late in games, you're seeing that, guys. Late in games, you're seeing the after effects of this injury. And the fact is they don't have someone behind him at the number one position that's giving them anything close to what he gives them. So there's a lot of pressure, pressure that he can handle, but often injury, that's difficult. What I look at with this team is, is plain and simple, plain and simple. The other super senior on this team has to get going. Mm-hmm. And the fact is Jermaine Samuels cannot stay two for seven from the field against Savior. He's not going to be that in February. You just know it. We all know it. But having said that, has has that been a reason for losses? Yes. His inability to hit perimeter shots has been tough and has been difficult for them to overcome because this Villanova team does not have much depth. 
beyond Caleb Daniels off the bench, there's not a lot that you can count on. And when you don't have a lot of depth, if, if you don't have a lot of depth, you got to make up for it with professional players. They don't have an NBA player on this roster as it currently stands. Jay Wright told me back in October that it was going to be important for them to achieve some level of depth, knowing that they maybe didn't have that alpha Jeremiah Robinson Earl. The fact is, to this point, they haven't achieved much of it. They also haven't had many chances to achieve it because they've played a next to impossible schedule to this point. So for me, it's a shot-making machine uh, of a team. The machine was broken in Omaha. It was broken against Syracuse. And it was even broken for the first 20 minutes of Xavier. It couldn't stay broken for the final 20 minutes of Xavier. Just by default, a machine has to start working again. They cleaned it up, and they, they gave it some oil, and that car started motoring again. But they defended. And that was the biggest thing. And I think to Villanova fans, what, what made Villanova fans upset is, hey, we're sitting here. It looks like Creighton wants it more. When is that ever the case? When are they ever a step ahead of us? And so Absolutely. I I get that. I think that this team is still a team that's going to finish top two. Like they're not finishing third or fourth or fifth in the Big East. I, I will be, I'll believe it when I freaking see it. I will say that till I'm blue in the face. Like, tell me when that happens. Tell me when they take a real fall from grace. There's going to be more of a race this year. There's going to be more of a race this year. They need Jermaine Samuels to get going. Justin Moore gives them something strong. Um, Brandon Slater's taking the next step. Maybe the biggest positive, Eric Dixon. Yep. Yeah, Eric that's Dixon. great. I love Eric Dixon. I think I think Eric Same. Dixon, Eric Dixon is a great example of Jay Wright and his staff's ability to develop. And I also think he might be the most improved player in the Big East Conference. Imagine Dixon if Samuel starts to hit some shots. And guys, if we had to bet on it. We're all going to bet that Jermaine Samuels is going to start to hit some shots. Villanova will be okay. They need the Temple game. They need that game. Like a lot of fans might say they don't need that game. Yes, you do. You need that game to figure some stuff out yourselves. Then when you jump into Seton Hall on Jam 1, you're ready to go for that test. Wildcats are going to be fun. Yeah. Look, we said this. We had a a conversation uh, recently. Uh, it was actually just like a Twitter spaces conversation um, and with, with a bunch of fans, very interactive, et cetera. Yeah. And it was after the Creighton game and everyone's licking their wounds and you say, okay, you beat Xavier ranked team at home. Good. You get right versus temple. Agreed. Temple's had yeah. a temple's had a very interesting start of their season. There is some potential there, but there's not, they're, they're not, they lost their best. They lost their best. They lost their best play. They're not a high level team. And, and, and we have a great chance at, at the pavilion to, to do some damage and kind of get our heads, right. You win a game in Newark versus Seton hall. And I know John, you're a Seton hall grad, but you win that game oh, that, there. Huge. That would be huge. That's a, that's a statement victory. And all of a sudden now you got a schedule and you move on and like, okay, the rear, you put the rear view mirror on a new year, new resolution, so to speak. And, 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 and you move forward from there. Yeah. Now, do you need to win that Seton Hall game? If you, if you win, no, no, you don't need to win in Newark versus an excellent 
Seton Hall team, extremely balanced Seton Hall team. No, and uh, very few teams have um, of late. Um, so, so you don't need to have that game, but that would be, that would be the statement victory of Villanova season to date um, if they're able to pull it off. Yeah, look, it would be, but you got to take it certainly a game yeah. at a time. I think that this team has a lot of room that they could get better at. Um, but I think that I think that Jermaine Samuels is the biggest proponent. Mm. My big picture concern is when they go up against top guns, the, the one thing about them is they have to beat you a certain way. You know, they're, they're, they're probably, there's probably not five or six different ways that this particular Nova team is going to beat you. They got to beat you with inside out, you know, driving kick action. Their defense has taken some step. Like that was a big step against Xavier. Cause I, I thought at halftime, Xavier was getting whatever it wanted. You know, everyone's like, well, Xavier made their first six threes and they missed their final 17 attempts. Yeah. But Xavier was getting open looks in the first half and, and uh, Villanova was giving them up. So for me, I think that, that Villanova is a team that's very good that ends up being a top 15 ish team heading into the postseason, maybe top 12. I don't know though, big picture about them being that team that makes the lead eight or something like that, because I just don't know if they have enough ways on offense in which they can beat you. And there's such an unknown after Daniels on the roster. Yeah. It's so hard to go six deep. Like you gotta be able to have eight. And yeah. and when you have six and none of them are a pro, it becomes really difficult. In my view, in my view, you need to have, I agree with everything you said. You need to have um, you need to have Slater needs to be consistent. Samuels needs Slater. to be consistent. Oof. Samuels Oof. needs to be consistent. Samuels has to be consistent. You're yeah. for senior. Yeah, right. No, it's time. Right. It's now, time. now, I love the aggressiveness that you know more typically brings. I think he had a couple games where he was a little bit off for some reason. I couldn't figure out why. But more typically brings aggressiveness. Eric Dixon has been forcing the issue to your point. And then, and then candidly to me in the Xavier game tonight, I thought Caleb Daniels was the difference. And we do a couple of things here on the full 40, John, and we're going to let you take part in it. Um, we're going to let you take part in it. We do, we give out three awards a week. Um, you're not going to want to take part in one of them because one of them is a little bit more on the negative side. Okay, go ahead. On the positive side, um, we award the Shaq fit man play of the week. So okay. a very specific individual play. Yeah. That was crucial. That that showed that showed athleticism and just manhood in general. Named and after then, Villanova's strength and conditioning coach, John Shackleton. Yeah, not. Yeah, sure. I know the play right now. Yeah, and okay. and I I think we're all going to say the same one, but we'll move on. I just want to introduce all of the awards. We do the Alpha Dog of the Week, um, which is the best player of the week. The so we have that, and then we have the it originated because. One time coming into a TV timeout, Jay Wright yelled at Justin Moore, pass the fucking ball. <laughs> and you could see it clear as day in there. So we have the pass the fucking ball award of the week as well. I guess that you're not going to want to take part in that one, um, which is fine. Uh, but we'll do the first two here. Um, so the Shaq Fit Man play of the week, in yeah. my mind, was Caleb Daniels' drive to the to the cup and dunk to finish the first half. Um, Cause I thought that was a late statement that kind of set the tone for the second half. 
It was. That, that is the play of the week. That's the play of the game and the win over Xavier. And I also thought that that was a possession where Villanova had to get something. And they get it in, in emphatic fashion to go to the hole and make that happen. Daniels really ignited the building. A, n- a night where the students are not on campus. You got you to gotta get them fired up with something. You know, and I thought that that did. I also thought Eric Dixon got down to the hardwood at one point in this game, getting after a loose ball. And those types of little things, that's what Villanova's about. So for me, Caleb Daniels would get the play and the alpha award because he 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 struck alpha into the game off the bench. Mm-hmm. But overall, thus far this season, Eric Dixon's been that yeah. dude. He's been that dude. Villanova had such a large question mark on the interior and he's answered that question. And then some, so uh, look, Caleb Daniels makes the play of the game. And for me, it's a combo Daniels in the Xavier game, but big picture, if I'm giving out the alpha, uh, I give it to Eric Dixon because I thought that coming into the season, I thought he'd be serviceable. He's been pretty doggone good. Rob. And then my pass, the ball award would be COVID give up the damn ball COVID. Yeah. We had enough of you. It's been that's, a year and a half. Just give me years. That's a good one. Fun. That's a good one. Big East basketball happened for heaven's sake. <laughs> so true. I think for me, I'm gonna I'm gonna ring a model of consistency here. Caleb gets my Shaq Fit Man play of the week. It's gotta be those end of the half swings are just huge, absolutely huge. That was what we needed. Made sure it was, you know, 10-point game or so going into half. Sorry, less than a 10-point game going into half. So big for morale. Alpha Dog, for me, I know Chris has a different opinion. Also going with Dixon. Dixon, the past few games especially, has been a guy who's been contributing. We've been talking about him for several games now. John, we talk about, we have different observations on games, and we have some things that we talk about as, has it moved to a narrative status? Eric Dixon has shown enough consistency. His improvement is absolutely a narrative of the season for Villanova. And he continued that through this game. He was really one of the only things that was working in the first half today and really kept us in it and kept us alive. So he 100% gets my alpha dog of the week. Uh, Pass the ball award to me. Uh, I'm going to, you know, COVID, I think is a good take. I'm going to, I'm going to highlight also one of our players, Chris Archie Diacono. Look, Arch has, has served some role on this team. He stepped in to fill a need. Today was not his day, that's for sure. I think Jay saw the same thing. He had a good run in the first half, a um, couple errors, and Jay kind of gave him, uh, gave him the rope after that, and we really didn't see him in the second half. I saw a little bit of Jordan Longino, which is quite interesting. Yeah. Hopefully, knock on wood, yeah. we see a little bit more of it. But anyway, Chris Arch gets my vote on that one. So, so look. Shaq Fitman play of the week. I already said it. Alpha dog of the week. I'm going taking a different te- te- taking a different approach. Caleb Daniels. The reason why I thought Caleb was the reason that we won tonight. Sometimes and necessarily looking at the box score, etc. Watching the game and as it flowed, defensively, offensively, it seemed like Caleb made big shot after big shot, got in the way defensively, constantly made important plays at important moments that shifted the tide of the game. And for that reason, he's my alpha dog. I get Eric Dixon. I'd love to give Eric Dixon the award, but I'm, but I'm picking one and I'm sticking with Caleb. I agree with Rob's take on the past, the ball award of the week, John, to your point, 
on on um, developing depth. I think that if Jordan Longino surpasses Chris, Arch- Chris Archie Diacono on the depth chart for Villanova, that is a good sign for Villanova's depth. That's my take. That's my take there. I agree with that take. And look, they have to figure out a way to get something going. And Brian Antoine's situation, you hope that, that he can give them something. I wish that we maybe saw something of Trey Patterson, uh, yeah, but you know, we haven't, and maybe there's, and there's gotta be a reason for it. One thing I do laugh at is when people criticize Jay Wright for not playing certain guys. Like, <laughs> well, I, and you're laughing at us. <laughs> he's a basketball hall of famer. I'm, I'm not, I, you're allowed to question, but like we have to also at some point give the guy the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. And uh, look, John, what? we're, we're going to bring you back for a whole separate podcast. We're going to debate just that topic for at least an hour, at least an hour. <laughs> All right. How about the rest of the Big East? Let's, how, yeah, about, let's look around. Yeah. how about a league that went 91 and 24? Unbelievable. What is we? I mean, look, early on in the season, we lose a couple games, UCLA and Purdue, and we're sitting here and we're like, yeah. man, are we going to get these opportunities again, et cetera? The answer to the question is, yeah, we're going to get a ton of opportunities in the Big East. Let's start with y'all, your alma mater, Seton Hall, and what they've done in the out-of-conference schedule. Went away at Michigan, win at home versus Texas, a litany of other victories across the board. Seton Hall, to me, appears to be the most complete team in the conference, and in my mind, looks like a potential Sweet 16 Elite 8 type team. What do you think? They do, and it's because of their defensive ability. They have great length. They're in top 10 in average height in college basketball. Jared Roden has taken the next step and has blossomed into that star. Seton Hall's had a couple of them the last couple of years. Roden's been that dude. Then you think about what they have at the four slot. Tyree Samuel, incredibly versatile at six foot ten. He's actually come off the bench at times for Kevin Willard and has been able to embrace that role. Trey Jackson, a Missouri transfer, has been very underrated for this basketball team. Then you have Alexis Yetna, who rebounds the basketball like a mini Angel Delgado. That's how well Ooh, he gets wow. out on the glass. He plays with that personality. So for me, Seton Hall is playing with toughness. Uh, you know they have the seven-footer Ike Biago in there when healthy, but they don't need him to win. They, they still have a level of toughness and length even with the seven-footer off the floor. But the biggest question mark for this team was what would they get from the point guard position? Bryce Aiken has brought it. In his last year of college basketball, he's hit big-time shots, and he's made big-time plays for this team. Seton Hall at the point guard position last year was an enigma. It was a huge mystery. Aiken's been a game changer. And I do think that when you look at the Pirates' big picture, if Kadari Richmond, the Syracuse transfer, keeps coming along, this team could be a second weekend team in March. Yeah, I, I really like them. And I'm, I'm going to be picking them in my bracket because I love yeah. it. I, I expect, for whatever reason, Kevin Willard's team seems to have like a late January, early February soon. I swoon. I, I always call it out as the Seton Hall team infighting portion of the schedule. Um, but but they seem to come out of that, and I love their attitude and energy come March. I think they're primed to get a really good seed based on their based on their out of conference wins. I think they're going to continue to win in the Big East in the Big East Conference, and I think they're primed to make a run in the tournament the Big East tournament, that yep. is, yep. Um, to put them in a good position to make a, a Sweet 16 Elite Eight run. Sure. I agree with you guys. I want to stick in the New York metro area and kind of a little bit of a different circumstance, St. John's. 
who is they giveth and they taketh away. It seems like one moment you look at St. John's, and you're like, oh my God, they could beat anybody in the country. And then and then you look at St. John's another time and you're like, how does this team get past Ken Palm 200? So like, is this just a, a simple case of playing up and down to a competition or is there a personnel issue that's not working out for them? Well, I think it's a non-conference scheduling issue that, that didn't really prepare the team well enough in some of their marquee games. But I do think that it's a personnel problem. From game to game, you don't know what they're going to get from certain guys. And that's problematic here at this stage of the season. Offensively, it's it's so reliant on Champagny and Alexander that beyond that, you don't know what you're going to get from Tariq Coburn or Montez Mathis. Uh, I, I think that they're bigger inside, which is helpful. Joel Soriano. Uh, has been a quality ad. Aaron Wheeler's given them some spurts, but not consistent. That's the thing. Like, they don't have game-to-game consistency out of their supporting cast. And when you add in seven transfers in an offseason, this is the other side of it. That right. grass is greener. Eh, not always greener for everybody involved. You know, the St. John's kids that transfer down are having troubles. So I think there's two two sides to the street, guys. Um, I think that this is a basketball team that that has the potential by February to be a really good basketball team, but they don't have the body of work to show for it. So that's very problematic. They are they're stuck. I mean, St. John's right now has a very it's like kissing your sister type feel. I don't know what that feels like, but I've heard that line before. <laughs> what an analogy, Joe. I've heard that. It's kind of like you know, like, it's just, it's, it's a weird place to be in because they probably will end up being one of the better teams, or at least I still think they could be anyways. Right. Right. Uh, But then again, they might finish eighth or ninth or 10. You don't know what you're getting from day to day with, with this team. And that's a problem for a team that we thought would make the tournament. I I agree. I think St. John's a disappointing look. You excuse the Kansas loss, right? Kansas is obviously a top 10 opponent. You excuse that loss, even if it's at home. But they just they just don't look strong. Like that, I just I just can't put my finger on it. There's no consistency there. Like, like, yes, you have Posh Alexander, yes, you have Julian Champenny, but like where is the where is that backbone of this team? that I thought I saw developing in the second half of last year. I just don't see it. No, no, I don't see it either. It's not there right now. Um, and that's a problem. You know, should, we, should we shift gears to a team that is more consistent? Perhaps UConn also yeah. in the Tri-State? Going up no, 95. We're traveling I'll, up 95, John. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll go someone over them right now. It's the team that beat them this past Saturday. It's the Providence Friars who yeah. sit at, who sit at eleven and one. The Providence Friars are in a terrific, terrific spot right now. The only team in college basketball with four quadrant one wins. Wow, I realize that. Only team. Texas Tech. That was a great win at home. Yep, at Wisconsin. Now Wisconsin yep. didn't have Johnny Davis, but still, you got to go out there and win. Cole Center's a tough place to win at. Um, Texas Tech at Wisconsin at UConn. Yep. And then a neutral win over Northwestern, I think, is uh, constitutes itself as a Q1 win as well. Look, this this basketball team has put itself in a very nice position. 
a very nice position. And I think that when you look at what they've been able to do, um, they've done it because Al Durham, the Indiana transfer, has been fantastic. He's been fantastic. He's a playmaking guard. Nate Watson, we knew would be the constant, but this right. Providence team has a backcourt. Durham, A.J. Reeves doesn't have to be the guy, so he's more comfortable there. And Ed Croswell's been a real X factor for them off the bench. So I like this Providence Friars team. They are really – they're playing Ed Cooley throwback-style basketball, and it's worked. Is, the, is this a year where Providence, you think – because here, here's my little bit of my issue with Providence. Every year we talk about Ed Cooley's consistent. Providence always does enough to get into the tournament. And we sit here and it's, it's kind of always a first round exit. Is this the year Providence makes it out of that first round? Is, is, is there a chance they get to the second weekend? I don't know if they're a second weekend team, but we had them preseason seven in the Big East. Right. So then making the tournament alone is a success. Right. I know people want to see second weekend, but it's hard to be one of the last 16 yeah. If this team wins a game, that's a big accomplishment alone. So could they win a game? Yes. Do I think they're a second weekend team? I don't think so, but I've seen crazier things happen. Remember in the tournament, random things happen. The Pac-12 had a bad year last year. Now they had some talent, but still, it's all dependent on the draw. You don't need to tell Villanova fans that crazy things happen in the tournament. A team that lost its best player to an MCL injury last year makes the Sweet 16 and takes the first half to – like right in Baylor's grill, right? Yep. And and six years ago, we we have one of the best teams that we've ever had, and can't get out of the second round versus NC State. So I mean, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, the, the tournament can be a crapshoot in a lot of ways. You're right; it can be a crapshoot in a lot of ways. And you know, I think I think that what what we know is this: the Big East has put itself in a position where it could get six or seven teams in the NCAA tournament. Villanova, UConn, Xavier, Seton Hall, Providence. Um, and then let's see. We'll we'll see beyond what happens there. I mean, you have a couple of Marquette, you look at yep. Creighton, you look at you yep. look at yeah. St. John's if they go on a, if they get on a heater, right. uh, probably not likely. Right. But, um, you, but you have a position where you know that you're going to get five and you could get six, maybe even seven in. That is big for this league. You know that Villanova's going to go. You know Xavier's going to go. You know Seton Hall. You know Providence. You know Connecticut. And then any of the Marquette, like you said, Marquette, Creighton. Um, look, we haven't talked about them because I know people don't talk about them, but DePaul's 9-1. DePaul, DePaul, hashtag rank DePaul. <laughs> and they won at Louisville, and they beat Rutgers. And look, Rutgers hasn't been that good. Rutgers still beat the number one team in the country on a given night. So – it's interesting how college basketball works, but the Big East has put itself in a good spot. John, let's, I know it, we're running up on the top of the hour. Uh, what are your predictions? So you say Villanova won't drop to three or four in the conference, no. might be two. Who, who is, what is the team that is, that is the threat to, to unseed Villanova um, out of the one line of the Big East tournament? Yeah, I mean, the problem is, is that it's hard game to game to know what you're going to get offensively from them. But when they play their best game, when they play their best game, the Connecticut Huskies are the best team in this league, in my humble opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, I, but I don't think they didn't play well against Providence and offensively they're limited. Yep. 
Seton Hall might be that team. They're tough, but they are inconsistent at times in the month, like late January, early February. And so I do wonder about that. It takes such consistency to win this league. Um, I still think Xavier could be the team that wins the league. Ironically, even though they lost to Villanova, they showed us what they're capable of in that first half tonight. So I think there's a number of candidates, uh, but I, I, I think that we're not going to see this picture develop until late Jan, early Feb. Um, I think, I think the league winner might be 14 and six, 15 yep. and five. It's not going to be 16 and four. It's not going to be that. Um, I just don't think someone's going to run the gauntlet that much. So I think it'll be a mixing of those teams. It's hard guys. Cause like right now, still night to night, you don't know what you're going to get in this league. And it's also hard because you have no right now. Seton hall hasn't played a game in, you know, it's going to be two weeks by the time this week's over. And, uh, you know, uh, other teams too have either been on pause or haven't played or it's kind of strange right now with our current times, but do I think if I were a betting man, I would still say Villanova wins the big East. I think they just find a way. Okay. I'll because take it. I, I don't know. I just don't know if, if there's another, another one of the teams that I just listed, I don't know how much I trust them over the 20 game conference schedule, but we'll see. Um, yep. a, a, a very big early game in this league is one next week when Seton Hall visits Providence because Seton Hall will have not played in over two weeks. And they're a team that we think could win the league. But if you go to Providence, which hard place to play, you lose that game. Now you're one and two. How many teams have started one and two in this conference and have won it? Yeah. I mean, look, you go to the dunk. I mean, anything can happen. It's a different dimension. It's, you know, the, the dunk has some – Feelings to me like uh, Hinkle Fieldhouse does, the house of horrors, if you will. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. But, but yeah, look, this conference is obviously turned into a, an absolute slug fest it, it, in a lot of ways. It's good for the league overall. It'll result in six bids, I think five minimum six bids, uh, more likely. Um, you know, five to seven bids in the, in the NCAA tournament, you know, can teams bust out of the first of that first weekend into the second weekend, I think is the, the measure of the conference, if you will, because they have plenty of bids racked up since the inception of the, of the, uh, of the reorganized league, you know, seven or nine years ago. Um, but not a lot of second weekend visits. Um, and I think that's the next step in yeah, the evolution of the for conference. Sure. That is the next step. And I think that this league could make it. Um, certain teams got to continue to grow. This Villanova team's going to have to show us better signs. But look, let's remember in March, if they finish against a top-tier team, remember that they were right on the doorstep against Purdue and against UCLA. We say that playing those games benefits you no matter what. Will it benefit them in March if they're on the doorstep against one of the elite? Let's see if it does. All right. I'm going to have lightning round you. Go ahead. Who is dark horse favorite? You're not favorite. Dark horse candidate. Not to win the conference because that's a 20 game gauntlet, as you said, but to win the tournament. Dark horse candidate. So how about this? A dark horse to me is a team outside what we think is the top three or four. Yep. In yep. the conference tournament. Yep. Yep. St. John's. Okay. Oof, okay. St. John's. Let's go crazy. Maybe it's their year after all the doubters. 
they put it all together. They put together for uh, three days and they win it. So next lightning round question. You've said, you've said Colin has been a step off. Maybe it's the recovery from the MCL injury, et cetera. Who right now is your favorite to win player of the year in the conference? Man, that's a really hard question. I would say Jared Roden at Seton Hall. Yeah. I don't think any one player means more to their team. And Seton Hall has the best results in the conference. So best team thus far, best player, Roden. Who, which Big East team makes the deepest run in the NCAA tournament? I'm go out on a limb. Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm not. Uh, Nova. Villanova's going to figure this out. They're going to figure this out, and they're going to end up making the deepest run. I, I can't not try. Like, I need to see Jay Wright turn, turn me down. You know, every time I've asked Jay Wright out on a date, he said yes. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with Jay Wright until like, I'm not going to put, I'm not going to get old takes exposed over taking somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but John, John, if he's going to take you on a date, he should at least wear a suit, right? Come on. I feel like you should take a drink every time you hear somebody say he looks a lot better in suits. Cause I oh mean, my though, God. He does, though. He does look better. I'd, I'd run out of alcohol very quickly, John. It's rough. <laughs> It's become so much. It's become every single, every single broadcast we hear. All right. I kind of disagree with it too, by the way. Anyway, topic of conversation for our next pod. Chris, back to the lightning round. Conversation for our next pod. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm, I'm like just thinking out. Uh, Okay. I'm going to bust out of the Big East for a second. Lightning round, national scene. Your top team in the country that you've seen so far wow great question i mean there's some candidates purdue has looked amazing at times baylor's looked amazing at times Baylor looked amazing against us duke has looked incredible at times yeah right yeah so you know i would say that the the team that has performed the best that i've seen is baylor because they've defended the best. They have three guards in Akinjo, Flagler, Cryer. Um, you have an, um, what seems like an unlimited shelf of, of bigs, right? So Scott Drew's just formed this physical beast of a team. And uh, they're just going to defend you for 40 minutes. If they get anything from their guard play, your night's over. Yeah. After that, I would say Duke, because – they defend, they have the generate, they have the best player in the sport in Paolo Bancaro. Ooh. My problem with Duke is they don't hit perimeter shots. And so in the NCAA tournament, Michigan State beat Duke a couple years ago because even though Duke had the best player involved in the game, Michigan State had the game manager in Cassius Winston and just would not let up yeah. and, and force Duke into perimeter shots. Baylor Duke, um, I have trust issues with Purdue in the NCAA tournament um, and still do. Um, I think Ochai Agbaji in Kansas could be right there too. I love their makeup. Uh, I, I just, I think there's a well-roundedness to it. And then Gonzaga is still Gonzaga. They, they stumbled a couple of times, but that's a ball club that like is still one of the five best teams in America. They, yeah. they still are to me. So uh, with with Chet 
and with Timmy, and they got to still figure out some more of that dynamic. But guys, Andrew Nemhard is a beast. He's a beast of a guard. He's going to charge that program. Zags will be a okay. Um, I, I'm uh, as opposed to a lot of people who are saying it's the it's you know it's Purdue, Purdue, Purdue. I just I'm hung up on Purdue defensively, hmm. and I just wonder if that ends up. Maybe it won't cost them at all. Maybe I'll look like an idiot, but. That's that's my one thought, and that's where I go Baylor and Duke a little bit more. And I'm not yep. I'm not this Dukey normally. Yeah. I haven't answered Duke in a long time, but I like this Duke. Hey, look, look, all of your answers are legit. I mean, there's no debate. Like, you can't really sit there and be like, "Oh, you're an idiot." Like right. for 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 any of these takes, um, you know. In my mind, I've watched a little bit of Paulo Banquero. I, you know, I, I am. Jaden Ivey to me is just, I, I just love the way he looks when he plays like, like has like a job Morantness to him that like just the way he flows through, through the way he like, like everything that he does. I, I just look at Ivy and I say, that's a guy who's going to get a lot better and he could be a takeover guy in, in, in March. To me, it's per, to me, it's between Purdue or Baylor. I'm biased because I look at teams that beat Bill. Like I do this every season. Any team that beat Villanova, I'm like, Final Four, obviously. <laughs> That's like every time I fill out a bracket. I always get burned by a team that beat Villanova. Yes, for sure. That, look, it's either Villanova wins national title or you get burned by a team that beats them. No question for you. Mm. Um, any any good stories, any final thoughts? You've, you've, you've now covered basketball in a year plus of COVID. Anything in particular in the last thing that sticks out in your mind of just like, well, that was weird or that was like funny or man, I can't imagine this happening ever again. A great story that I do have actually came a couple weeks ago at Walsh Gym. And uh, I was doing a game at Walsh, rather. Uh, Seton Hall was playing Division II NIAC uh, on a Saturday afternoon. So I, I was looking for some material for the second half of the game. So I called Bill Raftery and I said, cause he was a Seton Hall coach and he coached, he coached there. He coached games at Walsh. I said, so what, what's your best Walsh gym story? He said to me, and this is like old school college basketball. He said, we used to take advantage of the dead spots on the hardwood floor with the two by fours. And we would force our opponents into the spots on the floor that were the dead oh spots. So when they dribbled the ball, it wouldn't wouldn't go up as much, and it go out of bounds. He goes, "We won some games off forcing teams to the dead spots of the heart." That's ridiculous. I can hear Bill Raftery saying this story to you. <laughs> How crazy is that story? Oh, really does. That's I'll tell you a pretty one. good Raftery one. Here's another one: day of the Big East championship game. Everybody's getting COVID tested, and if you were at the tournament, you stayed in the same hotel. It's like a bubble. So we're downstairs in the lobby and I see Patrick Ewing and um, a colleague says to Patrick, good luck tonight. And he said, and Patrick turns to us and goes, hey, this is ahead of the championship game against Creighton. Patrick turns to us and goes, we won't need luck. We're going to win. And the colleague said, well, you know, no, Patrick, I mean, you know, but, but good luck. He goes, we're going to win. That night, what they did, what they did to Creighton, kind of is reminiscent of when you're watching the Water Boy 
and Lynn Swan is on the sidelines and Vicky Valencourt or whoever yeah, said, yeah. oh no, the final score is going to be this. And Lynn goes, <laughs> and she goes, no, no, it, that's what's going <laughs> to That's Brett, exactly what I thought. That's what I was thinking of. Patrick Ewing called his shot and then won the Big East Championship. That's How great. Cool is that? Awesome. How cool is that? That is cool. That is cool. As much as I hate Georgetown, that's cool. <laughs> All right, John. Just Dan Hurley wearing his masks. It was all over the place. All right, John. Hey, look, I appreciate it. This has been great. Like, love running through the Big East with you. Would love to have you back on later this season, talk through some of the actual results, obviously. It's nice to talk in theory now in January, but the best part of college basketball is that we get January and February to get some freaking answers. Um, So we'd love to have you back on once we have them. Uh, John, I say this as a Jets fan. I hope the Browns figure out a way to turn it around for you because I, it pains me to watch you. It pains me to watch you in pain. And I, and I saw your pain last night, and, and I'm sorry about that. Oh, but, it was heartbreaking. In so many ways, that was so, so heartbreaking to lose that game. Uh, but, but thank you. Thanks, Chris. And thank you, Rob. I love joining you guys and uh, love being on the full 40. And can't wait to do this again. And to Brian and Rachel and everybody out there who listens, Merry Christmas from me to all of you, Nova Nation, and happy holidays. John, Merry Christmas to you. Be safe. You're traveling all over God's green earth. You know, for God's sake, stay safe. Um, But it's been a pleasure to have you on, and we really appreciate you joining us here on the Full 40. Everybody, um, you know, from everybody here at the Full 40, thanks, thanks, John, uh, for being on. Um, Signing off uh, for Chris and Rob, it's Chris Bellotti from the Full 40. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a very Merry Christmas. And as always, let's go Nova.